one two one two one two one two. Hey everybody, what's up? This is Jay, aka JC, aka JC, aka Law T, aka the Hip Hop Taliban, and I am here to welcome you to this special edition of the Get Off My Lawn podcast, which is actually a companion piece that goes along with a new website, greatesthiphopalbum.com, which was published by The Liberator, T-H-A-L-I-B-E-R-A-T-O-R.com, where you can find past episodes of the Get Off My Lawn podcast. I wrote the piece, which identifies Ice Cube's death certificate as hip-hop's greatest album and goes into great detail about why I believe it is the greatest album hip-hop has ever seen. But I know that a lot of people don't like to read, a lot of people don't like to, uh, I don't know, I guess it's just read or be bothered. People want to be this uh, age where people want information and things right now. So we created this audio piece, which loosely, I basically read through and kind of add my own little comments here and there to the information that's already on the website. So who knows? Maybe you're at work. Maybe you're at school. Maybe you're on a long road trip. Maybe you're stuck in traffic. I don't know. So you can't get to your device and check out the website and read it for yourself. So here you go. Basically, I will be going through the website in sequence, uh, covering all the material that's contained within and adding a little bit of my uh, thoughts and opinions along the way. Also, I will be playing clips from some of the music because on the website, it's a somewhat immersive multimedia experience. So there's audio, there's video that you might want to go back and look at. So I will be playing music. I will be playing audio, uh, all that's fit to play and advance the, uh, the overall concept. So this podcast episode had to be broken into two parts because it clocks in at right around about four hours and iTunes is not going to let me post up a four-hour podcast. Maybe they will, but um, there's some storage restrictions and blah, blah, blah. So I'm going to break this into two parts with this being part one and part two if you have subscribed to the podcast via iTunes, uh, part two will download to your device in uh, probably about a day after you get part one. So, again, thank you for checking out this special edition. You can always visit greatesthiphopalbum.com to read and see more. You can visit The Liberator, T H A. L-I-B-E-R-A-T-O-R dot com to check out the Get Off My Lawn podcast archive. So, enjoy. The following program contains strong language and is intended only for mature audiences.
Get off my lawn. I'm, I'm, I'm a man. I'm 40. I'm a man. I'm 40. I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a man. I'm 1212-1212, the Get Off My Lawn podcast is in full effect. This is your boy Jay, a.k.a. J.C., a.k.a. J. Caesar, a.k.a. Law T., a.k.a. The Hip Hop Taliban. And shout out to B.B. King, providing the instrumental behind us. But this is a very special edition of the Get Off My Lawn podcast because it is more than 10 years in the making. And the reason why it's so special is because this is going to serve as a companion piece to an article, a website, a research project, and uh, all-around thorough hip-hop document that I created about five years ago to look at what I argue is the greatest hip-hop album ever. And that album is Ice Cube's Death Certificate, which was released on October 29th, 1991, meaning that uh, we are, as of the time I'm recording this, we are approaching the 25th anniversary of the album. And I figured that it was a perfect time to relaunch and reintroduce a 
website that I created uh, about five years ago. And the website is greatesthiphopalbum.com. Very simple. And the way the website came about is... In hip-hop, like with sports, there's always debate and argument about uh, who's the greatest, who's the greatest MC, who's the greatest athlete, etc. And that's part of what makes it fun. People have different opinions, different views, and typically it's not something that can be settled because your opinion is your opinion and it's no more or less valid than mine. However... I found myself having the discussion routinely about who's the greatest, what's the greatest hip-hop album. And I consistently made the same arguments, and after a while I decided that I really needed to sort of organize my thoughts in a more uh, cohesive, comprehensive manner, and that would allow me to dissect my own argument and see if there were flaws. It would also allow me to put something out into the world and offer my two cents on a debate that is going to continue as long as there is uh, rap music. But I think what you'll see if you visit the website and or if you just listen to this podcast that you'll see that my argument is different and I'm able to present evidence um, that lends, in my opinion, more credence and credibility to uh, my argument. But you can decide for yourself. So... Just to kind of lay out the uh, roadmap that we're going to be taking, the website, if you want, the podcast is loosely, uh, a little more closely than loosely, I'm pretty much going to follow the same format that's on the website and read through and add my thoughts and opinions and ad-libs about the material that's presented, which is roughly, I think maybe 12,000 words or so broken down into various sections to present the argument. And as we get into it, you'll, it will uh, make more sense. But if you want the full multimedia presentation, you do need to go to the website, which is, again, greatesthiphopalbum.com. And there are audio clips, uh, which I will play during this podcast, but there are also uh, videos that I I guess as we get to those sections where the videos uh, help to explain certain aspects of the the material, I'll kind of decide on the fly whether or not playing the audio from the video helps to uh, 
sort of advance the understanding of what I'm saying in on in the podcast format. So again, it is something that I have thought about frequently since I'm not going to say since the album was released because the album was released in 1991 and I think it probably wasn't until maybe I would say at least 2000 before I really started to think about and consider that Death Certificate may be hip-hop's greatest album and over the years I've I've let other people read the uh, website in its uh, previous incarnation and read the material and they either come out agreeing with me or they don't necessarily agree but they agree with the basic tenets of the argument so it should be interesting I'm not sure how long it will take to go through all of this so I may end up breaking the podcast down into sections because as I said there are audio clips there's going to be a lot of audio and I'm going to be playing various songs so I don't really have an idea about how long this is going to take, but however long it takes is how long it takes. The only only difference for anyone listening is this may be broken up into multiple parts, but um, we'll see how it goes. We will see how it goes. So... Without any further ado, actually, yeah, wait, we're going to have a little further ado. Um, You can find me if you want to uh, give me some feedback at Hip Hop Taliban on Twitter or on the website. There is a section where you can leave uh, your thoughts and comments. So I am always interested every time I present this material and the website to people, I'm always curious about their feedback and it's been up since 2011 and I've had a bit of feedback. I never really promoted it extensively before. Uh, This was before podcasts were really um, as ubiquitous as they are now so I really just put the website out to put my put my thoughts down and to really uh, explain my arguments so again greatesthiphopalbum.com you can read along you can Play the music, you can take surveys, there's any number of things, watch videos, and it really combines both the, uh, there's a lot of historical 
news elements to it. And I really think that anyone who has listened to any of the episodes of this podcast to this point has a feel for my opinions and thoughts on hip-hop, the kinds of discussions that we have in this form. And I think you should at least... If you don't appreciate, well, if you don't come out agreeing with me, I think that anyone who's serious about their hip-hop should appreciate the uh, research, effort, and scholarship that (laughs) went into it. And, uh, yeah. So, let's get into it. Let me find something uh, to throw on in the background. Right now we're listening to some Flying Lotus, producer out of L.A., West Coast. Let me see what we got here. Uh, Let's see. Should we go Mad Lib? Mm, Beat Miners. Yeah, this is the 90s. This is the 90s album. So let's hit up some beat miners and hope that they, uh, that I just have instrumental versions, but we shall see. Let's go beat miners. All right. <laughs> Raw, gritty. East Coast. All right. We'll let this roll for now. Okay. And now, without any further ado, I present to you the greatest hip-hop album ever. Death Certificate is the greatest hip-hop album ever. There. It's been said. And I know for the vast majority of readers that and listeners, that first sentence, in particular that adjective greatest, sent you shuffling through your mental rap Rolodex to come up with countless examples of albums that more so deserve to be designated the greatest. Illmatic, Enter the Woo, Nation of Millions, The Blueprint, Low End Theory, Blowout Comb, The Chronic Equimini, 93 Till Infinity, Soul Food, Criminal Minded, Straight Outta Compton, Fun Crusher Plus, Paid in Full, Slim Shady LP, The Carter, Volume, whatever, etc, etc. I fully understand the controversy involved in making such a declaration. And I realize that there are bound to be the inevitable hordes of people who disagree with my assessment. That's fine. Because in the end, I'm ready to go to the mattresses with the blogosphere or whomever in vigorous defense of this particular take. And make no mistake, I more than welcome the debate. But... If you're listening or you've gone to the website to argue something stupid like, Nah man, you're tripping. 
Young Thug's album is the greatest hip-hop album ever. Then click that back arrow or that pause button right now. And go find something more attuned to your taste. The number one spot. What is the greatest, the best, the illest, the sickest, the freshest, the hottest, the baddest, the most crazy, hype, stupid, dope album of all time? It is and has been a perpetual topic of discussion in hip-hop circles, at park jams, in school cafeterias, on street corners, basements, barber shops, and message boards. And it's most likely being discussed somewhere in some language in some form right now. Typically, these discussions are exclusively simple matters of personal preference, insofar as there is no ultimately convincing way to win the argument that Ready to Die is better than Illmatic, Only Built for Cuban Links is better than Nation of Millions, 36 Chambers is better than 93 Till Infinity, Lowen Theory is better than The Chronic. And to an extent, this argument is similar. However, the case to be made for Death Certificate as hip-hop's greatest album is one that relies less on opinion than any of the culture's other greatest discussions. Or, perhaps a better way to say it is this. This argument employs a combination of generally accepted hip-hop opinions and incontrovertible facts, making it less a matter of convincing and more a matter of presenting a body of evidence so compelling that no serious contenders emerge, or so it would seem. Now, these are the ground rules. To be clear, this is not strictly a beats and rhymes argument, because those always end up as never-endingly subjective comparisons of this or that use of phrasing, metaphor, drum pattern, or sample. Which is actually better? It all depends on your perspective. Need an example? Well, how about this little warm-up? I'm going to play several verses, and you just listen to each one, take it in, and then we'll come back and resume our discussion. Get some, you a bum. I take the cake, but you can't get a crumb from the poetic, authentic, superior, ultimate, and all that good shit. I'm the original Asiatic, acrobatic, there you have it. Now get dramatic, creating drama when I'm on the scene. And I pack a men mean, like Bruce Springsteen. I profile the style, it's mild and meanwhile. Put on trial, a rap pile to exile. Make it tumble and stumble, and a rumble just crumble. And I'm still calm and humble. You need another helping hand to swing on. I stand alone, but still you gotta bring on your Batman and Robin, Cagney and Lacey. Starsky and Hutch, but they still can't face me And if I may make this one thing here clear That's for you not to come near, period For I ain't bugging or delirious My swift tongue's like a sword, that's how the bear it is And I can slice and dice a fish and price MC That thought he was nice and to minute rice Single-handed, I ain't with that band stuff Cause see a scratch a record like flakes of dandruff And the mic I ravaged, not like a savage But in my own way of doing damage As I design a genuine line Now who flat top rules in 89? And of course that was... Big Daddy Kane with 
warm it up Kane. Now we're going to check out another verse from the notorious B.I.G. We're Brooklyn at! We're Brooklyn at! We're Brooklyn at! We're Brooklyn at! We're going to do it like this and tell you ready to check it. I got seven back 11s, about eight, 38, nine, nine, ten, max, ten. The shit's never in. You can't touch my riches. Even if you had MC Hammer and the 357 bitches. Biggie Small, the millionaire, the mansion, the yacht, the two weed spots, the two hot blocks. That's how I got the weed spot. I shot dread in the head, took the bread and the lamb spread. MCs, the runs dripping. When I throw my clip in the AK, I slay from far away. Everybody hit the DECK. My slow flow's remarkable. Peace to Mateo. Now we smoke weed like Tony Montana sniffed the yo. That's crazy blunts. Bad hells, my voice excels from the avenue to jail cells. Oh my god, I'm dropping shit like a pigeon. I hope you're listening. Smacking babies at their christening. Mm. And here's a little something from Slim Shady. Last night I OD'd on rush, mushrooms and dust Then got rushed to the hospital to get my system flushed I'm an alcoholic and that's all I can say I call in at work cause all I do is frolic and play I swallow grenades to take about a bottle a day A Tylenol 3 and talk about how violent I'll be Give me 11 and shatter in my head a spin Medicine will get me revving like a 747 Jettigen Scratch my balls till I shred his skin Doctor check this rash, look how red it's, it's been the Forget it then I strike a steel pose and hit you with some mill flows That don't even make sense like dice you and dildos So reaching your billfolds For ten ducats And pick up this Slim Shady shit That's on ruckus Some, 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 some I get weeded My daughter scribbled over that rhyme I couldn't read it Woohoo Now a little something From Cool Mode D I go work like a boxer, train the brain and aim to outfox you Like a punch, my rhyme rocks you Sometimes it knocks you so hard it stops you Dang, your track, so power packed Before you can react, you're flat on your back Down for the count, get up and dismount Cause I'm coming with an endless amount of rhymes In a hurry, like a flurry, a collage of camouflage A power punch, but don't worry, knowledge is an antidote I got hands that smoke right in that speed A light with insight, I wrote rhymes on a level So you can't relate, unless you're intelligent So stay awake, sleepwalkers, slick talkers This time a native New Yorker, right now Shedding the wave to save the mental state of the fan So he can understand my pencils writing the rhyme in its highest form And I'ma drop it on you like a bomb And when it explodes, I'll blow up A few casualties, but so what if you slow you blow You know you go, I flow, I flow, I flow, I go <laughs> That was my joint back in the day Alright, now Miss Lauren Hill my logic and my theories i add a motherfucker so you ignorant niggas hear me what oh all right now the next verse from 
Ludacris. Number one, Chief Rocker, clean out your rap lockers. I'm as stiff as a board, y'all more shook than Maracas. But my tricks ain't for kids, if you dig them, you'll get smacked. I'll clock ya, I'll spring forward, you fall back. Every album that I drop has got more than ten bangers. That's cause I'm a shot caller, y'all fools is crank yankers. Ain't a damn thing changed with the ice on my chain. To get chicks from Portland, Oregon to Portland, Maine. Now I roll up torpedoes, get blunted with rosters. For a hefty fee, I'm on your record like Bob Costas. I own so many jerseys, I'm a throwback mess. I hit the cleaners and tell them I want a full court press. So mama toast your glass while I'm counting my cash. Cause every single is a smash, I'm hot as a camel's ass. The competition never just wanna admit that they lost. And that they last about as long as my part in the wall. From your car to a crap game, no one rolls with you. One of many me's shoes got more soul than you. So by the time you figure out why your record ain't spinning, I'm in the strip club smoking with President Clinton. So stand clear of the law. Alongside burns and goatee, they made the mold of the penis enlarger off me. I'll be in another room when I hit from the back. Not to mention my refrigerator's taller than Shaq. <laughs> Ludacris, totally underrated as an MC. Next up, Nasty Nas. Through the lights, cameras in action, glamour, glitters and gold. I unfold the scroll, plant seeds to stamp, be the glow when I'm deceased. But in the beast, the rise like yeast to conquer peace, leaving savages to roam in the streets, live on the run. Police paying me to give him my gun. Trick my wisdom with the system that imprison my son. Smoke a gold leaf, I hold heat nonchalantly. I'm grungy, but things I do is real and never haunts me. Wow, funny style niggas rolling a pal. Boost the heads profile on a bus to Rikers out. Holding weed inside they pussy with their minds on the pretty things in life. Props is a true thug's wife, it's like a cycle Niggas come home, some will go in Through a bullet, come back, do the same shit again From the womb to the tomb Presume the unpredictable Guns to loot life rapidly, that's the ritual Props is a true thug's wife <laughs> Now the God rock him a verified freestyle, lyrics of fury. My third eye make me shine like jury. You're just a renter, rapping your rhymes are minimate. I'll be here when it fade and watch it flip like a renegade. I can't wait to break and eliminate on every trade of a snake, so stay awake and follow and follow because the tempo's a trail. The stage is a cage, the mic is a third rail. I'm Rock Kim, the fiend of a microphone. I'm not him, so leave my mic alone. Soon as the beat is felt, I'm ready to go. So fasten your seatbelt, cause I'm about to flow. No need to speak, slow down and let the leader lead. Word to daddy. Indeed, the R's are roller stones, so I'm rolling. Directors told them the rhymes are stolen. Stop bugging, the brother said dig him. I never tell him he couldn't follow the leader long enough, so I drug him. It's a danger zone, he should arrange his own face. It's basic, erase and change of tone. It's one R in the alphabet. It's a one-letter word, and it's about to get more complex from one rhyme to the next. Everything be easy on the flex. I've been from state to state, followers tailgate. Keep coming, but you came too late, but I wait. So back up, regroup, get a grip, come equipped. You're the next contestant. Then clap your hands, you want a trip The price is right, don't make a deal too soon How many notes get the name this tune? Follow the leader, is a title theme task Now you know you don't have to act Rappers rhythm and poetry, cuss, create sound effects You might catch up if you follow the records he wrecks Until then, keep eating and swallowing You better take a deep breath and keep following the leader Ooh, I remember that video, loved it With Rakim and the old... Al Capone style walking up the street with the Tommy gun. Nasty. <laughs> All right. Next up, Raz Caziano. Raz Caz. Uh, I 
got 304s and 310 on Section 8 with multiple 187s. Sport a Marilyn Manson t-shirt. When I die, go to heaven. Smoke a beady, scrape my lungs, smoke the resin. Remember the name, Raz Castellano. Get the clown in y'all punk bitches, cause I'm a Mac. Like Rhino, I make, make, Mac money and make murder whack rappers. My Machiavelli verse bomb first, the Mac 11 to get ya. When I get at ya, the situation tenses. Fatality before you ever reach your senses. Got so-called riders crashing in the brick fences. Switch my name to Stalkerazzi, so you die like that white princess. If you looking for sympathy, you better look between R and T in the fucking dictionary. See, the object of the game is to win. Stack some in, sipping in, whip a bins, then leave it to your next to kin. And there we have it. So, we had a sample of... Nine verses, nine different MCs, nine different styles, and it could easily be argued that any of those is better than the others. For my money, I think, hmm, I think I'm gonna go with Rakim and yeah, Rakim. How can I go wrong with the God MC? Personally, I don't think I can. But which one, which verse did you think was the best verse? If you happen to be listening to this and following along on the website, greatesthiphopalbum.com, then you can actually cast your vote. And I encourage you to do so because it will... Uh, prove, help prove a point that I'm about to make. But when we have the arguments about greatest album of all time, it's not just about rhymes, it's about beats, beats and rhymes, production, who produced it. And so I'm going to play a few different beats, different styles, all hip hop. And take a listen to each one, remember, and think to yourself which beat is best. First one, courtesy of Tribe. Lyrics to go. Lyrics to go. Lyrics to go. Lyrics to go. I mean, seriously, can you 
Can you, is it even possible to go wrong with a tribe beat? Really? Is it? Really? Nah, I don't think so. That was tribe. Lyrics to go. Now, the next beat is from a producer. I believe he's out of LA, but don't quote me, boy, because I ain't said shit. Uh, named DiBiase. Let's listen to this. You might, you video game heads out there might recognize this. For those who may not have known, the sample in that was from Tetris, and that was just a ridiculous uh, flipping of that beat. That's just exceptional. But there's another, another beat, another example. Next up, oh, legendary producer, DJ Premier, one of his mini classics right here check it out You can check my credentials because I choose to use my infinite potential. Come clean. You better come clean like J. Rue. So, DJ Premier, come clean. Classic, classic beats. I'm telling you, this is hard, this is hard. But it's just going to get harder because now we're going to bring in 
a beat from another legend and another classic cut. They reminisce over you, my God. What I love about this is when you're listening to the songs, just the instrumental, and you don't have the lyrics, and you're just listening to the song, you hear all of the the little nuances that you probably overlook, like with the uh, J-Ru with the Come Clean, the DJ Premier beat. You could hear, you could hear the static from the record that uh, Premier was using on the sample, and it's just that ah, it just adds that extra extra bit of flavor to those those joints. I know now we're in an age where people are using computers and nothing against computers and technology to make their beats crisp and clean, but there's something to be said for that old school griminess and those those hard to find uh digging deep into the crate jazz samples but we are going to continue next up man i just legend after legend on top of legend next up jay dilla get this money Thank you. 
get this money. I could listen to that just on a loop all day. I mean, Dilla. Just layers on top of layers and the drums. And I love the way it he has that hesitation where it pauses. Uh. All right, all right. Enough of that. Uh, let's see. Who is up next? Hmm. Someone who, I don't know, depends on your taste whether or not you would put him in a category. But there are so many great beats from so many producers. This is just another. This one comes courtesy of Just Blaze. telling you if I was crazy enough to be in the UFC that would be the music that I would have playing as I came to the octagon just before I got thrown into a rear naked choking had to tap my ass out but believe you me on the entrance my opponent would be shook so that was just blaze and that song that was church for thugs from the games, uh, I believe that was from the documentary album. But speaking of entrance music, this next song beat was the entrance music for the former baddest man on the planet, Mike Tyson, when he was just coming to the ring, knocking fools out, wasting my hard-earned pay-per-view money, knocking people out in the first round, second round. Anyway, Public Enemy, welcome to the Terror Dome, courtesy of the Bomb Squad. Here we go. Would you join me, please, in welcoming 
boy. Yeah, public enemy. The bomb squad. And interestingly enough, the bomb squad was exceptionally, extremely, extraordinarily influential in the production on Ice Cube's first album, America's Most Wanted, which uh, is highly ranked on my list of greatest albums. But there we go. Welcome to the Terror Dome. Now, again, it's just, you could do this all day with any number of producers, but I've got another one right here from another legendary producer. I'm going to go go ahead and say it. He created a unique sound and style and is still doing his thing right here. The RZA. Handcuffed in back of a bus, 40 of us, life as a shorty shouldn't be so rough. I'm telling you, these beats, these beats, you can appreciate them. Just let them sink in, soak in. And this last beat we're going to check out is from a producer who... We could play a game similar to this, which beat is best with his catalog, and you'd have so many different sounds that it would be really hard to pick. But Kanye, right here, going to check out one of his biggest hits, and a beat that I just think is extraordinary. Just check the drum patterns alone.
when I'm in need. And you stay right, girl. I'm going to get on. He'll leave your ass for a white girl. So, there we have it. A series of beats. Nine beats. From nine different producers. Nine distinctive sounds. Nine distinctive styles. And the question is, which was the best? Now, I personally, I am going to go with... I got to go with Dilla. Get this money for me. But the real question is, which beat did you think was the best? And again, if you go to the website, greatesthiphopalbum.com, you can cast your vote. And then you can see what other people have picked and see how your choices stack up. But my point in presenting all of the various verses, all of the different beats, is this, that everyone will, not everyone, but there will be legitimate disagreement as to which beat is best and thus the problem with beats and rhymes arguments so here's what we know it's a given that every hip-hop album considered in the discussion of greatest albums features quality beats and quality rhymes and anyone with any properly attuned hip-hop ear recognizes those What sets Death Certificate apart are the collection of intangible qualities in addition to quality beats and rhymes that no other albums in the discussion possess. It's my hope that this argument that I'm about to present comes across as less subjective. But... As with the beats and the rhymes, you decide. Now with that said, let us begin. Side to side. When Death Certificate was released in 1991, the majority of consumers still listen to their albums on cassettes. For those young enough not to remember, an audio cassette is a format in which magnetically coated plastic tape moves between two spools held inside a plastic shell. Cassettes had music on both sides, typically labeled side A and side B. The death certificate cassette, however, was labeled Death Side, which was side A, and Life Side, which was side B. A subtle deviation from the norm, but extremely significant in tying the oral, visual, 
theoretical and physical elements of the album together into one cohesive piece of art. As explained in the album intro, the death side is meant to represent the current conditions found in the inner city. In inner city, black America. The life side is intended to present a flip side and examine some of those conditions and provide some, for the lack of better words, solutions. The solution aspect never truly manifests itself but in all fairness, if a solution to these multi-generational socioeconomic and racial issues could be delivered on the B-side of a 61-minute cassette, Death Certificate wouldn't have the same resonance and relevance two decades after its debut. Over the course of the two sides of the album, Ice Cube deftly merges the gangster rap styles he helped pioneer with the black consciousness of Public Enemy and Boogie Down Productions, presenting a thorough, raw, scathing, unflinching, uncompromising view of South Central Los Angeles that is neither the typical gangster rap celebration of pathology nor the typical imposition of overbearing black righteousness. Sequence and Concept 99% of the albums routinely listed in the greatest lists are collections of very good songs about any number of topics and subjects. Death Certificate is a collection of very good songs built around a central concept in which each song builds off the previous and leads into the next, all while advancing the overall theme. Even the skits work to transition and advance the concept. If you were to take Death Certificate and rearrange all of the songs in some random order, you would still undoubtedly have a very good album. But the arrangement of the songs and the sequence in which they are presented are such a fundamental component of what makes the album not only good, but great. These elements cannot be overemphasized. If you take Illmatic and you move Represent from the ninth position and put it in the number three slot or move The World Is Yours to the end of the album, aside from the way we've all come to know the album, nothing really changes and it still makes as much sense as it ever did. With Death Certificate, if you take My Summer Vacation and swap it with Colorblind, the album is distorted in the same way taking Chapter 17 of Moby Dick and sticking it in place of Chapter 3 would fundamentally mangle that classic. The fact that sequence matters beyond the theoretical sense signifies a level of planning, foresight, and execution not present in most other hip-hop albums. Sticky Fingers, Black Trash, the autobiography of Kirk Jones, and Prince Paul's A Prince Among Thieves are two others that belong on the short list of hip-hop albums in which sequencing is critical. Nevertheless, it remains an exclusive group. When each individual line has to create a verse that works to create a song that fits into the overall narrative, you can't just make random rhymes based on whatever pops into your head. No free associative abstractness is allowed. 
Neither is consideration for your radio songs or your club bangers. Forget about the album for a second. Just writing a song that from beginning to end tells a complete story automatically ups the level of difficulty. And of course, I have some examples. So the first song we're going to check out is one of the all-time classic story rhymes, which is one of my personal favorites, Black Steel in the Hour of Chaos from Public Enemy. Word. A ballad behind bars, or you could say real rock from the rock, an unusual musical happening in a most unusual place. The state prison I got a letter from the government the other day. I opened and read it. It said they were suckers. They wanted me for their army or whatever. Picture me giving a damn. I said never. Here's a land that never gave a damn about a brother like me and myself because they never did. I wasn't with it, but just that very minute it occurred to me. The suckers had authority. Cold sweating as I dwell in myself. How long has it been? They got me sitting in a state pen. I gotta get out, but that thought was thought before. I kind of played as a plan on the cell floor. I'm not a fugitive on the run. Brother, brother like me begun to be another one. Public enemy serving time. They drew the line, y'all. They criticized me for some crime. Nevertheless, they could not understand that I'm a black man. And I can never be a veteran. On the street, the situation's unreal. I got a raw deal. So I'm looking for the steel. Yo, Chuck, you serious? You in the justice? Word them up. I'm looking for that steel. You know, they got me rotten in the time that I'm serving. Telling you what happened the same time they're throwing. Four of us packed in a cell like slaves. Oh well, the same motherfucker got us living in his hell. You have to realize what is a form of slavery organized under a swarm of devils. Straight up, wear them up on the level. The reasons are several, most of them federal. Here's my plan anyway, and I say I got gusto. But the only time I can trust, yo, some do a bit from one to ten. But I never did, and plus I never been I'm on a tear with no tears should ever fall Self-blocked and locked, I never clock it, y'all Cause time and time again, time they got me serving To those, to them, I'm not a citizen But ever when I catch a CO Sleeping on the job, my plan is on go ahead I want to stick, but I'ma tell you the deal I got nothing to lose, cause I'm going for the steal Yo, Chuck, we gonna break you out of here, man Where's the strength, G? I'm going for that Instigate a prison riot. This is what it takes for peace. So I just took a piece. Black for 
black It's high time to cut the leash Freedom to get out to the ghetto No sellouts Six CEOs we got We ought to put their head out But I'll give them a chance Cause I'm civilized As for rest of the world They can't realize a cell is hell I'm a rebel so I rebel Between bars got me thinking like an animal Got a woman CEO to call me a copter She tried to get away And I popped her twice Right? No one to get nice I had six CEOs And now it's five to go And I'm serious Call me delirious But I'm still a captive I gotta rap this time to break As time grows a tent I got my steel in my right hand Now I'm looking for the fence I'm looking for that Into the courtyard Followed by 52 brothers Bruised, battered, and scarred But hard Going out with a bang Ready to bang out The power from the sky From the tower Shots rang out A high number of dose Yes, it's something Cause I figure I trigger my steel stand And hold my post This is what I mean An anti-nigger machine If I come out alive Then they won't come clean Then I threw up My steel bullets flew up Into my surprise The wall and tower blew up Who shot? What? Who? What? The bazooka was who? Into my rescue It was a S1W Secure my getaway So I just got away The joint broke From the black smoke Then they saw it was rougher Than the average bluffer Cause the steel was black The attitude exact Now the chase is on Telling you to come on 53 brothers on the run And we are gone Incredible song, incredible story. Another coming up here from Eminem, Stan. Another just incredible story. I'm going to interrupt this just for a second because as he's spitting the verses, listen and you can hear the sound of a pencil writing on paper. It's just ah, one of those added extra touches that just takes this to another level. Here we go. Thank you. 
you, but you still ain't calling. I left my cell, my pager, and my home phone at the bottom. I sent two letters back in autumn. You must not have got them. There probably was a problem at the post office or something. Sometimes I scribble addresses too sloppy when I jot them. But anyways, fuck it. What's been up, man? How's your daughter? My girlfriend's pregnant too. I'm about to be a father. If I have a daughter, guess what I'ma call her? I'ma name her Bonnie. I read about your Uncle Ronnie too, I'm sorry. I had a friend kill himself over some bitch who didn't want him. I know you probably hear this every day, but I'm your biggest fan. I even got the underground shit that you did with Scam. I got a room full of your posters and your pictures, man. I like the shit you did with Rockets too, that shit was fat. Anyways, I hope you get this, man. Hit me back, just a chat. Two to yours, your biggest fan. This is Stan.
meant to write you sooner, but I've just been busy. You said your girlfriend's pregnant now. How far along is she? Look, I'm really flattered you were calling your daughter that. And here's an autograph for your brother. I wrote it on the starter cap. I'm sorry I didn't see you with the show. I must have missed you. Don't think I did that shit intentionally just to diss you. But what's the shit you said about you like to cut your wrist too? I say that shit just clown is all. Come on, how fucking bitch you? You got some issues, Dan. I think you need some counseling to help your ass from bouncing off the walls when you get down some. And what's the shit about us meant to be together? That type of shit'll make me not want us to meet each other. I really think you and your girlfriend need each other. But maybe you just need to treat her better. I hope you get to read this letter. I just hope it reaches you in time before you hurt yourself. I think that you'll be doing just fine if you relax a little. I'm glad I inspire you, but Stan, why are you so mad? Try to understand that I do want you as a fan. I just don't want you to do some crazy shit. I seen this one shit on the news a couple weeks ago that made me sick. Some dude was drunk and drove his car over a bridge and had his girlfriend in the trunk and she was pregnant with his kid. And in the car they found a tape, but they didn't say who it was to. Come to think about it, his name was... I'm telling you right now, I could do an entire podcast on just breaking down the excellence, the just amazing attention to detail and story of that song alone or the previous song but to construct that song to have the different voices to have the different elements and then have the little twist at the end of both the stand part and then also at the end on the Eminem reply it's just outstanding like that is when I criticize these current rappers who mumble their way through whatever it is they're saying about how much money they have. This is what I'm saying. Now, everyone who rhymes can't be an Eminem, can't be a Chuck D, but you should aspire to that standard, to the stand standard, to the Black Steel and the Hour of Chaos standard. If you're just mumbling along, yeah, you're going to be criticized by me, but I digress because that's not what this is about. Right now, we're taking a look at rhymes with stories. Rhymes that are constructed, not just with people spitting rhymes that and words that rhyme, but a clear beginning, middle, and end. A story. It ups the difficulty level. And so next, we're going to check out one from the Blastmaster, KRS-One, Boogie Down Production. Love's going to get you. Cause every day don't start it. 
where I'm at if you're soft, you're lost. To stay on course means to roll with force. A boy named Rob is chilling in a fence in front of my building with the rest of his friends. I give him a pound. Oh, I mean, I shake his hand. He's the neighborhood drug dealer. My man. I go upstairs and hug my mother, kiss my sister, and punch my brother. I sit down on my bed to watch some TV. Do my ears deceive me? Nope. That's the fourth time this week. Another fast brother shot dead in the street. The very next day while I'm off the class, my mom's go to work cold busting her ass. My sister's cute, but she got no gear. I got three pairs of pants with my brother Ashir. So they're in school, see, I made a fool. With one and a half pair of pants, you ain't cool. But there's no dollars for nothing else. I got beans, rice, and bread on my shelf. Every day I see my mother struggling. Now it's time, I've got to do something. I look for work, I get a jerk. I do odd jobs and come home like a slob. So here comes Rob. His goal is shimmery. He gives me 200 for a quick delivery. I do it once. I do it twice. Now this steak with the beans and rice. My mother's nervous, but she knows the deal. My sister's gear now has sex appeal. My brother's my partner and we're getting paper. Three months later, we run our own caper. My family's happy. Everything is new. Now tell me what the fuck am I supposed to do? Shout. 
But when you use it in your vocabulary like you're addicted to it, it sneaks right up and takes you right out, 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 out. So, for future reference, remember, it's all right to like or want a material item, but when you fall in love with it and you start scheming and carrying on for it, just remember, it's gonna get you. Because despite that being one of the most positive songs of its time, I remember watching Yo! MTV Raps one afternoon and the video came on. My mom was sitting there watching it and forget the larger message. As soon as he said, uh, my sister's gear now has sex appeal, my mom was just like what why does her why did she, why did she have to have clothes that have sex appeal that's that's outrageous and she was done so she never made it through the end of love's gonna get you to see the overall message and the overall point however i'm assuming that everyone who's listening to this podcast has heard the song just listened to the entire song was probably singing along to the song and recognizes why that is such a significant classic song. Again, beginning, middle, and end. Well-constructed, well-conceived, well-executed, well-rhymed. And now, I'm going to check out one more just to drive this point home about the nature, the complexity, and the difficulty of constructing a rhyme that has a beginning, middle, and end. A story. Here we go. Children's story. Slick Rick, the ruler. Get to bed, I get the storybook. Y'all tucked in? Here we go. Once upon a time, not long ago, when people wore pajamas and lived life slow, when laws were stern and justice stood, and people were behaving like they ought to good, there lived a little boy who was misled by another little boy, and this is what he said. Me and you tonight, we're gonna make some cash Robbing old folks and making the dash They did the job, money came with ease But one couldn't stop, it's like he had a disease He robbed another Stick and another Stick and a sister and a brother Tried to rob a man who was a DT undercover The cop grabbed his arm, he started acting erratic He said, keep still boy, no need for static Punched him in his belly and he gave him a slap But little did he know the little boy was strapped The kid pulled out a gun, he said, why'd you hit me? The barrel set straight for the cop's kidney. The cop got scared, the kidney starts to figure. I'll do years if I pull this trigger. So he cold dashed and ran around a block. Cop radios into another lady cop. He ran by a tree, there he saw the sister. 
Shot for the head, he shot back, but he missed up. Looked round good and from expectations, he decided he'd hit for the subway stations. But she was coming and he made a left. He was running top speed till he was out of breath. Knocked an old man down and swore he killed Sorry. him. Then he made his move to an abandoned building. Ran up the stairs up to the top floor. Opened up a door there. Guess who he saw? Who? Dave the dope be shooting dope. Who don't know the meaning of water nor soap? He said, I need bullets. Hurry up, run. The dope fiend brought back a spanking shotgun. He went outside, but there was cops all over. Then he dipped into a car, a stolen Nova. Raced up the block doing 83. Crashed into a tree near university. Escaped alive, though the car was battered. Rat-a-tat-tatted and all the cops got. Ran out of bullets and he still had static Grabbed the pregnant lady and pulled out the automatic Pointed out her head, he said the gun was full of lead He told the cops, back off, for honey here's dead Deep in his heart, he knew he was wrong So he let the lady go and he starts to run on Siren sounded, he seemed astounded And before long the little boy got surrounded He dropped his gun, so went the glory And this is the way I have to end this story He was only one in a madman's dream The cop shot the kid, I still hear him scream This ain't funny, so don't you Dear laugh, huh? just another case about the wrong path. Huh? Straight and arrow or your soul gets cast. Good night. Knock him out the box, Rick. Knock him out, Rick. Rick the ruler. So with those four songs, again, the point is to illustrate that if you have a song that has a narrative, that is automatically more difficult to construct than a song where you're just spitting rhymes, whatever comes off the top of your head. So keep that in mind as we proceed to give you what you need. Scorched Earth. By 1991, hip-hop had acquired a diminished capacity to shock even members of the general public and media who, thanks to Yo! MTV Raps, The Arsenio Hall Show, and The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, had slowly started to accept rap and rappers as part of the mainstream popular culture. After all, by that time, hip-hop had bona fide street cats and gangsters like Schooly D and Ice-T, 
presenting stark tales of street life. Too Short was pimping hoes on wax. Two Live Crew was perfecting sophomoric porn rap. While blessing an appreciative male audience with brazen, bodacious, unclothed strippers, rump shaking and coochie popping. The Ghetto Boys used a picture of a gunshot wound to Bushwick Bill's head as cover art. Think about that. The Ghetto Boys used a picture of a gunshot wound to Bushwick Bill's head. An actual gunshot wound. He actually got shot in the face. And that picture was used as cover art on the Ghetto Boys album. Public Enemy had already channeled Malcolm, Marcus, and Huey via unflinchingly militant lyrics and sonic chaos and dealt with the fallout of being labeled anti-Semitic after Professor Griff went in on Jews. Record store owners and clerks were cited for selling two live crew albums to minors. The group faced misdemeanor obscenity charges carrying a maximum penalty of one year in jail. Luke Skywalker, now known as Uncle Luke, and the crew they beat the rap. In 1990, Geffen Records refused to release the Ghetto Boys' third album due to its lyrical content, which included verses about rape and dismemberment. Oh yeah, and some necrophilia. Here's just a snippet of what the Ghetto Boys were putting out around the time we're talking about late 80s early 90s check it out looking through a window and now my body is warm she's naked and i'm a people tom her body's beautiful so i'm thinking rape shouldn't have had her curtains open so that's a fake leaving out of house got the bitch by her mouth drug her back and slam her down on the couch without my knife so they can scream i'm cutting open her legs and commence the fucking she begged me not to kill her i gave her a rose her throat and watch her shake till her eyes closed. Had sex with the corpse before I left her. And drew my name on the wall like Helter Skelter. Run for shelter never crossed my mind. I had a day drug a nade and even a nine. Down 911 for the bitch, but the cops ain't shit when they're fucking with a lunatic. Another innocent victim of this homicidal maniac. That was the Ghetto Boys' Mind of a Lunatic. And as you heard, Rapping about rape and murder is shocking even at this point, some 26 years later. I mean, that's heinous and reprehensible in every way. And that came out in, that was in 1990. So as I mentioned, by that time, by 1991, hip-hop had acquired and achieved a diminished capacity to shock people. Because this is what was being produced, although most rappers weren't producing rape-murder verses. But 
just was out in the marketplace. NWA received a letter from the FBI for Fuck the Police, written by Ice Cube, in which an official with the Bureau admonished the group over the song's content, stating, quote, Advocating violence and assault is wrong, and we in the law enforcement community take exception to such action, end quote. So in this climate, it would seem almost impossible to stir up much more controversy than his peers had already done. But Ice Cube found a way. The formula began with recruiting the services of Khalid Abdul Muhammad, a high-ranking Nation of Islam official who was removed from the organization in 1993 for a series of speeches and comments that were beyond the pale, even for the nation. To put it in context, Khalid Muhammad was so fierce and angry and militant, he made Minister Louis Farrakhan look like Carlton Banks. Now, I'm going to play a snippet of a speech from Khalid Muhammad. And if you want to see the full video, you can go to greatesthiphopalbum.com and see for yourself. I'm going to play this now and we'll check it out. Warning. Actually, you were already warned when you first pushed play on this podcast. So here we go. November 29th, 1993, King College. That's one of the main things that rocked and shook the foundation of the world. I said that I did not support Mandela. I said I don't agree with Mandela. I said I believe that Mandela is one of the weakest ever to be in any leadership position over black people. But the cracker's a dumb cracker. A dumb devil knows no better. I said that day that if we were going to give white folks after they have murdered our black men, women, children, and babies, and the Oppenheimers and the De Beers and others have robbed our diamond mines, we can't even wear a watch or a ring or sisters a necklace or a bracelet. We call it jewelry, but it's really jewelry. L. Reed, as they steal all over. That's why they call Rubenstein and Goldstein and Silverstein, because they're stealing gold and silver and rubies all over the earth. For Mandela to have a truth commission and give them executive clemency and pardon before they even go to court. He could forgive F.W. de Klerk. He could forgive John Foster. He could forgive the no good, dirty bastards of South Africa. But he couldn't forgive Winnie Mandela, who stayed with him for 27 long years. What more does a black woman have to do? What more does a black woman have to do? It was Winnie Mandela, a true revolutionary. He tried to attack he tries to attack the pyramids. He attempts to uh, detract from us and attack our great accomplishments as we gave civilization to the world and all of the sciences and disciplines to the world. And now he attacks our heroes and 
our heroes and comes right up in our face and disrespects us. I said if they're going to be merciful, we give them 24 hours in South Africa to get out of town by sundown. I say if they don't get out of town, we kill the men, we kill the women, we kill the children, we kill the babies, we kill the blind, we kill the cripple, we kill the crazy, we kill the faggots, we kill the lesbians. I said, God damn it, we kill them all. He said, well, why kill them all? Why kill the women? First, why kill the babies? Just little innocent blue-eyed babies because god damn it they're gonna grow up one day to rule your babies kill them now why kill the women in south africa i said kill the women because the women are the military manufacturing center and every nine months they lay down on their backs and reinforcement rolls out from between their legs so shut down the military manufacturing center by killing the white woman why kill the the crackers, the old crepit crackers in South Africa. How in the hell you think they got old? They got old oppressing and killing black people. Yes, sir. I said, kill them all. Kill a faggot, kill a lesbian. And after you kill them all, I said that day about Mandela to let you know what he really knows about me, don't know a damn thing. I said, then you go to the goddamn grave and dig them up and kill them a goddamn gang because they didn't die hard enough. And if you don't have the strength to dig them up after you've done all that work, just go to the grave and shoot in the damn grave. Kill them again. Because they didn't die hard enough. I don't have no respect for Mandela. The so-called Jews had their Nuremberg trial. They tried Nazi war criminals for war crimes. Where are Johannesburg trials? If they had Nuremberg, where are Johannesburg trials? But we try war criminals and give them justice. Justice, the most honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches, is the reward for good and the punishment for evil. Let me see what else this no good cracker says. And that is Khalid Muhammad. And Khalid Muhammad's fingerprints and influence are all over Death Certificate. In working with Public Enemy on his previous LP, America's Most Wanted, Ice Cube began to merge his already A-plus gangster rapping with P.E.'s black political consciousness. And what we're going to listen to right now is Endangered Species, Tales from the Dark Side. And this is off the America's Most Wanted album. And it was... I'd say the precursor to the direction Ice Cube would take on Death Certificate. So we're going to listen to this right now. Endangered Species. At the bottom of our news tonight, there's been a new animal aimed in the direction of falling off the face of the earth. 
Yes, young black teenagers are recorded to be the oldest and the newest creatures added to the endangered species list. As of now, the government has not made steps to preserve the blacks. When asked why, a top law official adds, because they make good game. <laughs> What emerged was an image, not of the black militant who would march down the block and deliver an impassioned speech, but rather the black militant who would drive down the block in a drop top 64 Impala, whip out an AK and blast anybody obstructing his radical agenda, including, but not limited to, cops, politicians, and sellouts. It was this latter version of Ice Cube that showed up to record Death Certificate with a focused scorched earth agenda 
that without nuance or apology left no subject off limits or unscathed. As if firing a verbal starter's pistol, Khalid Muhammad's voice is the first heard in the album's intro proclaiming Ice Cube to be, quote, the wrong nigga to fuck with, end quote. And much like his pseudo-mentor, who was censured by the U.S. House of Representatives and Senate for advocating the killing of, quote, every white that ain't right that's in sight, quote, end quote, in South Africa, including women, babies, cripples, the blind, the faggots, and the lesbians, end quote. Ice Cube wastes no time in advocating violence as a means to an end. Not even the then owner of the L.A. Raiders, Al Davis, is spared, as Cube threatens to shoot the 62-year-old for not sharing any profits from the Raiders' gear Cube, N.W.A., and Public Enemy helped popularize. But I suppose if Davis's fate is considerably less harsh than that reserved for then LAPD Chief Daryl Gates, whom Ice Cube plans to shoot, beat to death, decapitate, and set on fire. And the violence doesn't end there, as sights are set on rivals, white men who lust after black women, gays, politicians, Uncle Toms, and Korean shopkeepers. While some of the language is clearly intended to inflame and elicit a response, the majority of the album speaks to the harsh reality of conditions on the ground in South Central Los Angeles. Gang violence, drug trafficking, high rates of unemployment, the AIDS crisis, poor education, lack of health care, and police brutality. Problems that have no bright sides or smooth edges. Still, you cannot make statements like, quote, real niggas ain't gay, end quote, or refer to white men as, quote, hell-born, demonic, savage, fierce, vicious, wild, tameless, barbaric, ungovernable, uncontrollable, obstinate beasts, end quote, and not expect some kind of adverse reaction. However, the public backlash against a death certificate would be like nothing seen before or after. Latasha. On March 16, 1991, 15-year-old Westchester High School student Latasha Harlins walked into Empire Liquor Market in South Central Los Angeles to buy a $1.79 bottle of orange juice. A surveillance video shows Latasha placing the bottle in her backpack as she walks toward the front counter where 51-year-old Korean store owner Soon Ja-do, presuming the orange juice is being stolen, reaches out and grabs the backpack. Latasha then turns and punches Du three times, knocking her down behind the counter. Du gets back to her feet and throws a stool at Latasha, who picks up the bottle, dropped during the altercation, 
and puts it back onto the counter. As Latasha turns to leave the store, Dew pulls a holstered 38 caliber revolver from beneath the counter, removes the gun from the holster, knocks aside the orange juice, and shoots Latasha in the back of the head from a distance of approximately 3 feet, killing her instantly. Latasha had $2 in her hand when she died. In the trial that followed, 8 months later, Dew claimed she shot Latasha in self-defense. The jury rejected this argument and found Dew guilty of voluntary manslaughter, determining Dew had the intent to kill Latasha and that the killing was unlawful. A 16-year prison sentence was recommended. Presiding Judge Joyce Carlin reduced the sentence to probation of five years, 400 hours of community service, and a $500 fine. The verdict did not sit well in a black community where tensions between Korean store owners and their black patrons were already at a boiling point. Rodney On March 2, 1991, from the balcony of his Lakeview Terrace apartment, George Holliday recorded a confrontation between motorist Rodney King and LAPD officers Stacy Kuhn, Lawrence Powell, Timothy Wynn, and Theodore Brasenio, and Rolando Solano. After pulling him over following a high-speed pursuit, the officers proceeded to assault King with nightsticks, taser shots, fists, and kicks, causing nine skull fractures a shattered eye socket and cheekbone, a broken leg, a concussion, injuries to both knees, a broken right angle, numerous bruises and lacerations, and nerve damage that left his face partially paralyzed. Just after the incident, Kuhn typed a message into his in-car computer, you just had a big time use of force tased and beat the suspect of CHP pursuit, end quote. Powell also typed a message stating, I haven't beaten anyone this bad in a long time. The video, which was released to the media and quickly went the 1991 pre-internet, pre-YouTube, pre-ubiquitous cell phone camera equivalent of viral, represented the visual evidence to support the claims being made for many, many years by black residents of South Central LA that the LAPD routinely employed heavy-handed, overly aggressive, and abusive tactics. The Los Angeles District Attorney charged officers Kuhn, Powell, Brasenio, and Wind with use of excessive force. The trial began one year later in March 1992, with the final verdict coming in on the afternoon of April 29th. Rodney 
Riot. At 3.15 on April 29, 1992, on the seventh day of deliberations, the jury acquitted all five officers of assault and acquitted three of the five officers of using excessive force against Rodney King. 62 minutes after the verdict, five young black men entered Korean-owned Payless Liquor and Deli at Florence and Dalton Avenues. The youths each, each grabbed bottles of malt liquor and headed toward the door, where they were blocked by the son of the store's owner, David Lee. One of the men reportedly struck Lee on the head with a bottle, while two others threw bottles, shattering the glass storefront. One of the young men reportedly shouted, quote, This is for Rodney King, end quote. Five days of rioting, looting, and general chaos ensued, including the heinous beating of white truck driver Reginald Denny just three blocks from the epicenter of the riots, Payless Liquor. No longer the tough guy occupying force, the tables were quickly turned on an unprepared, outmanned, and in some cases outgunned LAPD that retreated to regroup leaving the city in an absolute anarchic state as South Central, Los Angeles, and Koreatown went up in flames. The violence and rage, while chaotic and somewhat random, clearly took direct aim at the myriad of Korean-owned liquor stores on seemingly every other block a geographic and racial relationship that began boiling over a year earlier with the Latasha Harlan's killing and minimal punishment for the Korean store owner guilty of voluntary manslaughter, the riots would bring that conflict to a violent and bloody conclusion. Korean merchants whose stores hadn't been burned to the ground, armed themselves with rifles and handguns, taking to rooftops determined to defend their liquor stores and shops at all costs. By the time the dust settled and the 4,000 National Guardsmen arrived with automatic weapons and armored vehicles, 54 people, mostly Koreans and Latinos, had been killed. 2,499 people were injured. 6,559 people were arrested. More than 7,000 fires were set. And more than 1,100 businesses were damaged. 94% of the destroyed buildings were commercial properties. At a total cost of $1 billion in property damage. The 1992 Los Angeles riots were the deadliest civil disturbance in the United States since the 1863 draft riots in New York City. Black Korea As is often the case with hip-hop, far too many people, especially in the mainstream, get so caught up in the language that they miss the message. 
death certificate presented one of the most clear-cut examples of this phenomenon. Prior to death certificate, rappers received admonishment from various conservative quarters for their lyrics and were slapped with the parental advisory sticker. Ice-T's 1987 album Rhyme Pays was the first to receive this honor. Two Live Crew's infamous 1989 album, As Nasty As They Wanna Be, was initially deemed obscene and eventually led to a court case where the charges were dropped. In general, as long as rappers stayed in their lanes and it was young black men glorifying social pathology, misogyny, casual violence, etc., towards other black people, everything was fine as far as the general public was concerned. Well, that is until the life side of death certificate. In particular, a brief 45-second song entitled Black Korea. To call the song politically and racially insensitive is to put things extremely mildly. To call it an accurate reflection of the mood and tension between Korean merchants and the black community would be extremely accurate. And the consideration, the thing to remember is that this song came out before the riots occurred. But with these lyrics, Every time I want to go get a fucking brew, I got to go down to the store with the two Oriental one penny counting motherfuckers. They make a nigga mad enough to cause a little ruckus, thinking every brother in the world's out to take. So they watch every damn move that I make. They hope I don't pull out a gat and try to rob their funky little store. But bitch, I got a job. So don't follow me up and down your market or your little chop suey ass will be a target of a nationwide boycott, juice with the people, that's what the boy got. So pay respect to the black fist or we'll burn your store right down to a crisp and then we'll see ya cause you can't turn the ghetto into black Korea. The reactions to the song and the album were extreme and widespread, far beyond hip hop circles. reaction. As a result of death certificates themes, lyrical content, Black Korea and No Vaseline in particular, and cover art, the following occurred. The state of Oregon enacted a statewide ban 
making it illegal to display Ice Cube's image in any retail outlets. The Oregon ban extended to ads for the St. Ives malt liquor, for which Ice Cube was a spokesperson. In the United Kingdom, Island Priority Records removed the songs Black Korea and No Vaseline from the UK versions of the album. Camelot Records, one of the largest music retail chains in the Midwest, joined other retail stores in refusing to sell the album. The Simon Wiesenthal Center denounced the album. The Southern Christian Leadership Conference denounced the album. The Los Angeles Urban League denounced the album. The Guardian Angels denounced the album, comparing Ice Cube to former KKK member turned politician David Duke and pressured MTV to ban Ice Cube videos from the air. WGCI-FM in Chicago refused to play songs from the album. Billboard magazine called for retailers to decide, quote, whether or not Ice Cube's record is fit to sell or purchase, end quote, despite running a full-page paid advertisement for the album. The media showed death certificate little love. An article in the LA Weekly from November 1992 was entitled, quote, The Racist You Love to Hate, end quote. Quote, if a song contains anti-Semitic or racist lyric or there's clear controversy over content, we won't play it. We're not in business to infuriate people. We're in business to entertain them. End quote. David Shakes, program director of WBBM-FM on why the station refused to play songs from Death Certificate. Quote, it's the rankest sort of racism and hate-mongering. Ice Cube's unabashed espousal of violence against Koreans, Jews, and other whites crosses the line that divides art from the advocacy of crime. End quote. Billboard, November 1991. Quote, If there is an agenda for social revolution in Death Certificate, it's hard to hear it among the bigotry. End quote. Rolling Stone, December 1991. Quote, On Death Certificate, it's hard to tell which is more obtuse, Ice Cube's gangster raps or his political statements. The life side is where the limits of Ice Cube's knowledge become clear. The album reflects some of the same concerns Public Enemy takes up on Apocalypse 91, The Enemy Strikes Black, but at the level of a street brawl instead of a discussion. End quote. New York Times, 1991, November. Quote, Ice Cube undercuts his impact instead of focusing our attention on the paramount inner city issues that obviously trouble him. From education and crime to jobs and the family, the language in the album will take many listeners on a detour. The issues they'll raise will be about Ice Cube himself. Is he a racist? Is he anti-Semitic? Is he misogynist? End quote. 
L.A. Times, November 1991. Quote, Early on, he mitigates the usual gangsta shit, gat as penis and pit bull, female body as pestilence and plague, with such touches as an anti-gang track and a nurse with attitude. He invades against Jap and Jew. He purposes a nationwide boycott of Korean-owned inner-city businesses that escape the torch. Call him Ice KKK Cube, a straight-up bigot, simple and plain, end quote. Village Voice, November 1991. Quote, Ice Cube, 22, is clearly in over his head, but in the dearth of strong black leaders, rap turns young men into leaders, often before they're ready. This one, through venom or confusion, now seems a racist demagogue. End quote. Newsweek, December 1991. The Aftermath and the Prophet By May 5th, 1992, when order was somewhat restored to the streets of South Central Los Angeles, as the media and most of the powers that be were still trying to understand how and why L.A. erupted, it was clear that instead of railing against Ice Cube a year earlier for what he had said on death certificate, the real question should have been, why is he saying what he's saying. The album is too well crafted to assume any of it was constructed by accident or without acute awareness of what was being presented. Even in its most over-the-top moments, it cannot simply be written off as the ramblings of a racist. No, that's too easy and too wrong. Even by 1991, Ice Cube was financially well off enough that To think he was personally going to engage in any of the violence he espoused on the album was beyond absurd. Instead of outlining what now rich and prosperous O'Shea Jackson would do, Death Certificate presents an examination of life in South Central LA as told from the point of view of someone who would actually commit the type of crimes and engage in the type of violence that played out on TV screens worldwide. It is told from the perspective of individuals for whom casual and random violence is a part of everyday life. Individuals for whom poverty and prison stints are generational hand-me-downs. Individuals who probably wouldn't say, I had a disturbing encounter with the Asian American proprietor of the local retail establishment, but rather the oriental one-penny-counting motherfuckers make a nigga mad enough to cause a little ruckus. Individuals for whom the decision to carry a gun is really no decision at all, as detailed in Colorblind, another of the album's key songs. With lyrics that state, I understand how all my homeboys feel, because I was shot and to this day I pack my steel, Cause I was born in a certain territory where you don't talk, only the streets tell stories. With blue and red bandanas on the street, and if you're slipping, you'll be six feet deep. 
Death Certificate connects the dots that answer the questions posed by those with time to ponder questions such as, why would an able-bodied young black man turn to selling drugs? Well, see, Bird in the Hand or My Summer Vacation. Why are these young black men carrying guns? Well, see, Man's Best Friend and Colorblind. Why are these young black men so angry? Well, see, Wrong Nigga to Fuck With and, again, Colorblind. Why is the rate of AIDS 38% higher in South Central than in the rest of Los Angeles? Well, see, giving up the nappy dugout and look who's burning. What happened to these young black males as children to lead them down such self-destructive paths? Well, see, doing dumb shit, us, and a bird in the hand. It's not that Death Certificate was the first or last album to document street life, far from it. But Death Certificate is unique in that, number one, it presents its stories in such a straightforward way that the listener need not possess the advanced interpretive skills necessary to approach some of the more heady and abstract material from groups like Public Enemy or X-Clan. Number two, There's no celebrating or reveling in the violence and dysfunction that unfortunately became the rap music norm sometime in the early 90s. Number three. The stories and lyrics exist to advance the album's overall concept. Instead of simply adding stripes to Ice Cube's street cred or providing the false bravado and bluster that exist on most albums simply to prove the MC ain't no punk. Number four. Uh, he predicted the L.A. riots a year before they took place. He identified both the key flashpoints, black-Korean relations, and the Rodney King police abuse, and pointed out exactly who was going to be targeted when the violence eventually jumped off. That cannot be overstated. The condemnation of this album in 1991 was widespread from political organizations, community organizations, media outlets, retail outlets, politicians. But then, less than a year later, the things that Ice Cube was being condemned for were proven to be the exact things that were either the primary causes or contributing factors to the L.A. riots. Just think about that. Think about that for just a minute. He predicted the L.A. riots in detail. Timelessness. A must factor for any album tagged with the classic label is timelessness. A sound, a rhyming style, and a lyrical content that don't sound dated but maintain freshness and lasting resonance that endure years beyond the initial release. A few specific name and date references aside, 
death certificate could have been released in 2001 or 2011 and been relevant because the unfortunate fact of the matter is many of the problems and conditions Ice Cube described on the 1991 release persist in inner city black communities throughout the country. Let's look at Bird in the Hand. Told with a tightly edited matter-of-factness, the song succinctly details the situation far too many young black males find themselves in and the dismal choices to be made. Like most of the songs on the death side, Bird in the Hand offers nothing in the way of solutions but instead lays out the facts and likely outcomes, allowing listeners to come to their own conclusions without creating a bias that occurs when MCs glorify the obviously negative choice. The protagonist graduates from high school, has a child, has to get a job, can't afford college, doesn't have money, can't find a job, finds a low-paying job in fast food that doesn't make ends meet, considers option, continue as a member of the working poor, wait for government assistance, or sell drugs. He takes the third choice and examines the consequences. The eventual moral, a bird, aka a kilo of cocaine, in the hand, is worth more than a bush. A clear reference to then-President H.W. Bush and, by extension, the government. So here it is. A bird in the hand, Ice Cube. Hey, look at this. I've been cleaning out my nest, and I found an old book of my poetry. Fresh out of school, because I was a high school grad. Got to get a job, because I was a high school dad. Wish I got paid by rapping to the nation, but that's not likely. So here's my application, pass it to the man at AT&T. Cause when I was in school, I got the AEE. But there's no SC for this jumpster. I didn't have no money, so now I got a punched up. I got a slave and be happy, man, but Whitey says there's no room for the African. Always knew that I would clock cheese. But welcome to McDonald's, may I take your order, please? Gotta serve your food that might give you cancer. Cause my son doesn't take no fault and answer. Now I pay taxes that they never give me back. What about diapers, bottles, and Similac? Do I have to sell me a whole lot of crack for decent shelter and clothes on my back? Or should I just wait for help from Bush or Jesse Jackson and Operation Push? If you ask me, the whole thing needs a douche. A massing gale, what the hell crack a sell in the neighborhood? To the corner house bitches, Miss Parker, Lil Joe, and Todd Bridges, or anybody that heating up. So I caught me a bird better known as a kilo. Now everybody know I went from Poe to a nigga that got dope. So now you put the feds against me, cause I couldn't follow the plan of the presidency. I'll never get love again. But blacks are too fucking broke to be Republican. Now remember, I used to be cool. Till I stop filling out my W-2. Now senators are getting high. And you're playing against the ghetto backfire. So now you got a pep talk. But sorry, this is our only room to walk. Cause we don't want a truck push. But a bird in the hand is worth more than a book.
There are many morally ambiguous moments on death certificate that force the serious listener to consider the implications of various decisions and what exactly constitutes a positive or negative choice. And then there are other moments when Ice Cube simply sends out, in no uncertain terms, a clarion call. Such was the case when dealing with another blight on the South Central landscape, Killer King. <laughs> 